name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So uh, this beautiful verse, be kind and compassionate to one, one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And I think uh, right there is sort of the, the crux of the, the whole talk, is that forgive each other as Christ forgave you. And so we'll, we'll talk a lot about um, uh, many, many different aspects of this, but I love this quote by St. John Chrysostom. He says, there is nothing colder than a Christian who is not concerned about the salvation of others. Do not say, I cannot help others, for if you are truly a Christian, it is impossible not to. I love that. That last part especially, if you are truly a Christian, it is impossible not to help others and not to care about their salvation. Uh, I'm often reminded uh, during a, one of our men's meeting, um, one of the, the people at the meeting gave an analogy of the 9-11 firefighters. And he, it was akin to what a servant does. And he said, you know, you, you watch these videos of 9-11 happening and you see people running from the scene, you know, covered in, you know, soot and everything else that they're covered in. And they're running away from the buildings and they're running for their lives. And um, in fact, here's the person who said that analogy here, Peter. Um, and you see that the firefighters are running towards the buildings uh, at full speed, right? With, with nothing but the instinct to save lives, right? And it's like there's no fear of danger. There's, no, there's nothing. They're running towards the danger. Uh, and it reminds me of this verse or what St. John Chrysostom says, if you are truly a Christian, it is impossible not to, right? That should just, just, should just be how we're wired as Christians. So this topic of forgiveness of others is, is difficult, um, and it's much, easy when you're, much easier when you're a kid. As you become an adult, this becomes much, much harder to do. And all of us know somebody or have somebody who we have not forgiven, or we know someone who hasn't forgiven, or we know, you know, my mom is still upset with aunt such and such because 25 years ago, you know, we both made kofta, and I told her I was making the kofta, and she knew, and yet she still made kofta because she thinks her kofta is better than mine, right? And so we have, we all have stories like this in our family of people who have been fighting for 20, 25 years, 30 years because something happened, you know, in Egypt before we left and I'm never going to forgive it, right? Um, and one thing that God creates in us is this ability to forgive. Um, it's really not something that's kind of innate to us. It's something natural. It's not even something human. Um, this ability to forgive and forget and to move on. It's, it's supernatural, if you will. Um, and it's one of these things that I think we, we talk a lot about, but we don't ever do, right? So obviously in the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we say that over and over again. But the fact of the matter is that's not really how we feel, right? That's not really what we do, okay? We say forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, but we don't do that. And it just rolls off the tongue. It's kind of like one of those things like, thy will be done, when we have no intention of letting God's will be done, right? We, wanted, we want our will to be done. So this, this wonderful quote by Elder Ephraim, he says, each person must bear the weaknesses of others. Who is perfect? Who can boast that he has kept his heart undefiled? Hence, 
we are all sick, and whoever condemns his brother does not perceive that he himself is sick, because a sick person does not condemn another sick person. Right? And this just kind of encompasses everything that the church is. And unfortunately, everything that the church is not. And so, so many times when, when you speak with young people um, and they'll tell you they, how much they suffer under the judgment and the, the guy, the looks of people in the church and how people in the church persecute them and talk about them and attack them. Um, and it's horrible and it's not Christianity. I don't know what it actually is. Um, which religion it comes from, I have some suspicions, but it's not Christianity, but yet we see it, and we see that people feel like they have the right to hurt and attack other people in the name of God. And, and this, there's nothing more dangerous, nothing has caused more wars throughout the history of mankind than people killing people in the name of God, right? And how many people have been attacked maybe in this church, in other churches, as people in the name of God. And I, this, this quotes everything. Each person must bear the weaknesses of others. Who is perfect? Who can boast that he has kept his heart undefiled? Hence, we are all sick, and whoever condemns his brother does not perceive that he himself is sick. And this is kind of the first hint. As soon as we see someone, as soon as... I hear someone condemning another person or judging another person, you know, God forgive me, the first thought is you don't see your own sickness, right? You can't see your own sickness if you're judging another person, right? And again, it's, you go back to this, this thing that St. John Chrysostom said that, that the church is a hospital. Right? You can't imagine going into a hospital and walking from floor to floor saying, oh, what's wrong with you? That's disgusting. What's wrong with your leg? That's horrible. You have COVID, you're a piece of garbage. You have an ammonia, you're terrible. Cancer, fuchs, right? So you can imagine going from a person and you can imagine someone just saying, hey, so why are you in the hospital? And are you sick? Why are you walking around? And it's like, well, I'm, I, I'm actually not sick. I'm actually fine. I have no problems. And then I'm sure a nurse would say, well, let me show you the exit then. You know, we're kind of done with you. And yet we have people come to the church who walk around and say, I have no disease. I have no problem. I have no sickness. Let me point out everyone else's, right? And the lunacy that this happens over and over in the churches is, is, is crazy to me, right? But it does, okay? And it's lunacy and it's no different than someone walking from floor to floor in a hospital asking every patient, hey, what's wrong with you? You're disgusting. Let me, and then telling everyone else, you know what's happening on floor number two? That guy's got a little blue, you know, whatever, right? And if you want to look at this guy's face, he's, he's such a cutie, right? Look at, the, look at the smile, right? Anything this guy says, you know, is probably right. C.S. <laughs> Lewis has this nice quote. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because Christ has forgiven the inexcusable in us. This one hits between the eyes, right? This one, forgive the inexcusable in others. Right? This is what Christianity is, guys. So sometimes we get a little bit caught up on the, the, you know, the thing and the, the sermon and the service and the fast and the blah, blah, blah. But yet when the person who most likely is closest to me or in my life does something, and I'll call it inexcusable, right? You just watch us become indignant, watch us fly off the handle, watch us get angry, right? And 
And C.S. Lewis is just saying, well, isn't that what God did for you? Right? And the only person who really would get that angry is someone who doesn't realize that God did that for them. Right? And it kind of reminds me of, of the, the story last week with the, with the sinful woman. He who is forgiven much loves much. Right? And, it's, and those two just go hand in hand. Okay, why is it so hard to forgive? Lots of reasons. First one is someone is harsh and hurts you. So cruelty, meanness, harshness, these are all re very real consequences, and they make it hard for you to forgive anyone. Right? Imagine someone does something to you, and you, you're put in jail for 10 years over a lie. Someone lies about you, and you go to jail for it. Right? Imagine forgiving that person. Imagine sitting in prison for 10 years knowing I shouldn't be here. This person lied. So this is like a real consequence. Right? And you think about Joseph right, when he was thrown into the pit by his brothers. I mean, imagine what he was thinking, right? He's sitting in this pit waiting to die, and he knows his brothers threw him there. And then they sell him to, as a slave, and then he gets thrown in jail. Can you imagine what he's, what he's going through? All this because his dad gave him a colorful coat? It's like, here, take the stupid coat. Set the coat on fire. I'd much rather that than, you know, be a slave for the rest of my life. Can you imagine the thoughts he went through? Like, can I, I just want to talk to these guys. Why did you do this? Why could you, how could you, what kind of person are you? Imagine what he said. And then at the, in the middle of that story, can you even imagine telling Joseph to forgive them? Can you imagine like being the, uh, the, 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 the Abuna who has to walk up to Joseph and say, you know, it's, you should forgive your brothers. It's like, forgive? They sold me as a slave over a coat, and now I'm in jail, right? But the consequences, right, These, this, this reality, right, that we are in such a bad place makes, us, makes it very difficult to, to forgive. Another reason it's difficult to forgive, mistakes repeat themselves. And this is the, the normal, you know, for all of us who are married, right? When someone continues to sin against you over and over and over again, it makes it far more difficult to forgive them, right? They don't realize they're doing it. They don't care. They don't notice. And they just continue to hurt you without any sensitivity towards your feelings. This makes it very, very tough to forgive, right? When, they, when the perpetrator keeps doing it for whatever reason they're doing it. Um, and what if it's a permanent injury? What if you lost a finger because of it? What if you lost a hand or an eye or money? And every time you see it, the injury comes back again, right? And this is one of the things that Satan is very clever at, right? Satan was very clever to tell you, well, if this hadn't happened, then you'd be rich by now. If your cousin hadn't taken that piece of land in Egypt, oh, you would have so much money by now. If this person hadn't done this, imagine what your life would be right now, right? And so Satan is very good at deceiving us about this grass is greener on the other side thing. Right? And so whenever I have any injury, you know, I mean, even if someone holds me up just a little bit, you know, say at church today as you're trying to leave, you know, and then, and then you, you get in your car and like, ah, oh, I didn't want to talk to that person. They held me up and then you hit a red light. Like, ah, oh, if I hadn't talked to that person, I wouldn't hit there. You know, so this is kind of the mindset we can get into, right? Very quickly. Why else is it hard to forgive? People don't admit their mistakes. And this is very frustrating, right? It's one thing when they admit the wrong and ask for your forgiveness. I'm sorry. That's easy, right? And it pacifies us when someone just says the word sorry, 
right? It just makes everything better, okay? Especially if they mean it, it's even better that way. But sometimes they don't, and they insist, and they argue, and they dig in, and they spend days and weeks digging in like, no, that was not a mistake. I did that because blah, 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 right? And this makes it very hard to forgive someone like that, okay? And, um, and we don't see, unfortunately, their repentance ever with our own eyes, right? We don't see God's judgment or intervention in this situation, right? So all we see is this person who dug in, who wronged us, who didn't, who didn't say, I'm sorry, and then we see that they're happy and we see them, you know, have a nice car and nice children and a nice life. And you're like, that guy's a piece of garbage. Let me tell you what he did 22 years ago to me. Right. And you want to tell everyone about this person, but you see him successful and happy. Right. But what we don't see is God working on the other side. Right. We don't see how God intervenes in these situations. So David says, do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath, do not fret, it leads only to evil, right? And so sometimes we can fret, we can get all worked up when we see people scheming and devising and it works, right? Someone at work, you know, people do this at work all the time, right? They try to get ahead of you or they do something to get a promotion or they suck up to the boss, right? And the next thing you know, it's working. Okay, and, and they're ahead of you somehow. Frustrating. Number four, it's someone you love. You know, when, when someone on the freeway cuts you off or someone you don't know hurts you, that's one thing. That's easy. Someone at work. But when someone you love, it's harder. And Christ gives us, you know, the quintessential example of this, right? One of his 12 does it. Right? It's almost as if Christ embodied in himself, like, don't give me, you know, what this person was close to me. This was one of my inner circle. This was one of my 12. And he's the one who sold me for the wage of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. It's like a few bucks. And, you know, an enemy or someone you don't know isn't nearly as painful, right? But when it comes from the person that was supposed to be supporting and loving a parent, a child, a brother, a sister, a spouse, that then it really, really hurts. All right, let me skip some of these things. So the, the point so far is that there's, it's, this is why it's difficult to forgive and it makes sense. Um, and now kind of what are the consequences of not forgiving? The first one is anxiety. Um, we live in an area, era of anxiety, right? Antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication prescriptions are through the roof. Um, like half the population of Orange County is on them, apparently. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that's just like, it's almost like its own little mini epidemic. Um, and, you know, I heard this story in a, in a sermon once. It's amazing. This man um, was living a very, you know, evil life, very... Um, painful life um, and inflicting, doing a lot of sin, just, you know, whatever, and, and had a lot of anxiety about it. And he realized in, in talking with his confession father over and over and over again, that he had never forgiven his dad for what his dad had done to him. And then his dad died. And then when his dad died and he had died in an estranged state and he'd never forgiven him, he never had a chance 
to say, to say, I forgive you or to have that conversation. And then the dad dies. So now he's kind of stuck. His dad's gone and he never got a chance to clear the air. And it turned out that that situation was manifesting itself in him and it was making him self-hate and self-harm and drink a lot and do all of these things to himself almost as a, as a way to punish himself, right? And it created all this fear and anxiety and, and actually psychological problems in him as a result of this lack of forgiveness. So um, once Satan gets a, a hold in our life, a toehold in any way, it then works through the whole system, right? So Satan doesn't have to attack us always through the front door. He can sometimes give us something simple, like I'm not going to forgive this one person for this one thing, okay? And as God said to the people of Israel, there is sin in your midst, O Israel, right? And when I allow, and I allow, I'm not going to forgive this one person for this one thing, okay? And I want you to think about what that decision means, right? It's a very big decision. Now, that's very different from saying, I can't forgive them. I've been trying and I can't. It's, it's hard and I struggle and I still, okay, that's fine. But when you say, I won't forgive them, you have made a choice against God, right? You have said, I don't care what God says to do. That's very different from, I can't. It's hard on me and I try, but I don't, it doesn't work well. Okay. Once you make that conscious decision, this is what Christ calls is the, is the sin against the Holy Spirit, right? This is the big one, right? When I make this choice, I will not forgive them, right? And this unfortunately is common in, in our culture, right? There's a lot of honor in our culture, right? And when someone breaks your honor, then it is dishonorable of, for you to forgive them and to love them and to be seen with them, right? Then it's like, what, don't you have any respect for yourself? They dishonored your father, uh-huh. So you need to hate them and their children for life, right? And we all laugh, but this is, this is the code, right? And, you know, after what he said, Labuk, and you're going to go hang out with him, you know? And this is Islamic, isn't it not? It's an Arab Islamic thinking, okay, that has permeated the church. And this is not Christianity at all. Another consequence is fear. For some reason, when we don't forgive each other, there's a fear that enters into our life. A fear without reason. Because you have given yourself over to evil. And one of the consequences of evil is fear and shame and guilt. So you may not have forgiven your parents, your siblings, your coworkers, and this creates fear in our relationships. It also creates relationships that aren't very deep, either with God or with other people, right? It's almost like there's a block in you, okay? And it affects your ability to have other relationships, right? You know, it's kind of like when you're hurt by one person, the next person you meet, you just don't interact with them the same way, right? Because you, you keep that distance because you don't know they're going to hurt you again. Right. And so not forgiving, not clearing the air, not at least doing your side. I'm not saying they're going to forgive you back or you're, everyone's going to be hugging at the end of this, but not forgiving and not giving that choice to God creates that block in you. One that you've self-imposed and that limits your ability to have relationships, deep ones with anybody else. Right. You find that you're just not transparent and you're not open and you're not loving and giving. Right. Because you're holding back.
Another consequence, disliking yourself. We also find that people seem to hate themselves. Feelings of non-forgiveness and evil inside you makes you feel ugly and may make you think God doesn't love you either or that people do not. And because there is darkness inside you that you yourself don't want to be there, right? No one likes the ugliness of knowing they're holding hatred. Right? That's an ugly feeling. Even if we're, you know, we can, we can try to justify it and say, you know, in, in Saudi Arabia, they taught us 100 years ago that there's honor and we have to hold honor and blah, blah, blah. Okay? This is not, doesn't feel right. Okay? And so you don't like yourself and you're disgusted by yourself. Right? And you know that you can't love and you don't want to love. All right? So all this is basically a summary of saying, why is it difficult to forgive? But also... Why is it dangerous not to forgive? There are real effects on our personality and our ability to have other interpersonal relationships when we don't forgive. And, we, and, and again, I want to be clear, not that we don't forgive, but we choose not to forgive. Okay? If we try and we fail, that's wonderful. That's, that's the way it should be. Right? Someone hurts you, you try to forgive them. It takes a few years. Okay? Especially as you get older, we get more... We become bigger jerks, right? And we just don't deal well. Little kids, you know, we watch little kids. A little kid hits another kid on the head. They start crying, right? And, you know, next thing you know, the, the parents are involved, and then the parents are fighting, and then the parents' families are fighting. And did you know what he did to my little? And the, kid, the parents are now off, and they're no longer speaking to each other. And then they go look for the kids. Where are the kids? They're playing with each other, right? And the parents have now cut off each other for the next decade, right, because of what the kids did, okay? So... So parents are terrible at this, right? As we get older, we get worse and worse, right? And we've all seen this, and as, as I can feel it in myself, right? I just don't get over things the way I used to. All right, so some things to look out for, some things to think about. Denial. Denial is not forgiveness, right? Simply repressing your memory is not, is not what we're talking about. Right? You're like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about what happened. I don't want to remember what that person did to me. That's not forgiving them. That's repression, right? And that's still inside, right? And, if, and, and how do you know it's inside? It's because when someone pokes the beast, you come out like a volcano, right? This is the, the quintessential fight between the couple, right? When they're newly married, okay? And then, you know, she says, oh, it's okay, it's fine, it's, it's okay, it's fine, right? And then a week later, two weeks later, or two years later, he does the same thing, and she comes roaring out at him. Remember two years ago in Hawaii when you did the, right? And he's like, whoa, right? What happened is she didn't forgive and forget, she repressed, okay? So when you repress, it doesn't really work. All that matters, all that happens is it just bottles up. It's like you shake a soda can, right? And it just sits there, okay? And then when it comes out, it's going to come out even bigger, than it was before, right? It comes like a volcano and blows the top, right? So that's not what we're talking about here. Um, but this is very common, right? I'm just gonna choose to ignore it and not deal with it. That person says, I'm just gonna ignore it, I'm gonna ignore it, I'm gonna ignore it. That's not forgiveness, right? That's just, I'm gonna put it away for a second, right? So I don't have to look at it. Um, one of the things we often do, especially, you know, uh, in our communities, we smile at each other, even though we can't stand each other, right? This is the, this is, there's no forgiveness here. There's no love. There's, okay, I'll smop this and fushaha, right? And then, and then we're just going to move on, okay? And I'll be fake and I'll smile and hee hee and all the things, right? And just keep going, right? And this is a very dangerous state, right? When you've totally accepted it, 
even that Starbucks addic addiction. I have a Keurig in here. You know, I'm not fancy. All right. Um, and this is actually something the church says you, you can't take communion in this state, right? Where I am purposefully being hypocritical towards a person and looking them in the eye and smiling when, in fact, in my heart, I hate their guts. They don't know I hate their guts. They don't even know what happened, but I'm just going to keep that inside. And here you may not realize you haven't forgiven them, okay? Sometimes we think we've forgiven someone, and then we realize we actually haven't, right? And again, this comes out when they do something or say something, and then all of a sudden we come roaring out at them. Um, and it comes out in this huge argument, right? They, they, they say the wrong thing. Um, anyway, okay. All right, so I found this in a, in a coloring book. I think this was one of Lois's lessons uh, for the little kids. Forgiving makes us happy, and then you're supposed to draw a picture of your face, okay? Um, but when I saw this, I just loved it, okay? Because w this, is, this is what we teach the little kids. Forgiving makes us happy, right? There's a, there's a great quote. I think it's from uh, someone from the Far East. It says, anger is a punishment I inflict on myself for the sins of another person. I'll say that again. Anger is a punishment I inflict on myself for the sins of another person, right? So holding on to that anger um, is, is, is the issue. In fact, uh, there's a quote by, by, uh, uh, by, by Buddha, actually a Buddha quote that says, anger, you will not be punished for your anger, you'll be punished by your anger. You will not be punished for your anger, you'll be punished by your anger. Right? So, you know, this isn't, this isn't Christian stuff only. This is human stuff, right? And that's the point I want to make here. This, this, the, the, the thinking that, that forgiving makes us happy, this is just the way human beings think. So how do we forgive? What's the solution? Um, I'll skip that. Well, I, maybe I'll tell you that story. There, there was a woman whose son was murdered by uh, ISIS in Egypt, and they interviewed her, and they said, you know, tell us how you feel about ISIS. Uh, the one who killed your son and she said ISIS made me the mother of a martyr how can I not thank them and you're just like wow right she's like I feel so bad for them I love them but they made me the mother of a martyr right I owe them that so she she was able to pull out of a very 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 bad situation the silver lining, the blessing. She found the good. So Christ, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, he, says, he, he asked Peter, how many times should we forgive? And Peter said seven, which is a pretty good number, by the way. Like, I don't do seven. It's maybe, it's not even one most of the time. Um, with Meg D, zero, for sure. I mean, that's, there's no doubt. Right, so if you go one, two, three okay so Peter was going big he's going seven and everyone's like ah wow Peter's a saint and then Christ comes in and what did he say seven times 70 all right so what's the point we don't count don't count it's a very high number it's not 490 okay and what what, what Peter is showing is this kind of the Old Testament approach right the approach of justification 
Okay? If someone does this to me, then I do that to them. And Christ is showing them a new approach, right? He's showing them, I want you to, to be like, huh, like me. How many times do I forgive you? That's the question. Do you count? Is it seven? When you get to seven times, do, do, does God say, all right, I'm done forgiving you? So what he's really saying is stop looking at me or stop looking at yourself. Look at me. Look what I do. Right? You know, when, when you're little and you're, you're working with your dad on something, you know, sometimes your dad will say, right? look at what dad's doing. Watch what dad's doing and do what dad's doing. Right? Instead of, you know, instead of saying, you're doing it wrong, do it like this, do it like that. He says, look what I'm doing and do it like me. Right? This is exactly what Jesus was telling Peter. Right? Look what, look what I do. I forgive and I forgive and I forgive. Be like your dad. Be like your dad. So this is telling us about who God is. Our God. And if we're the image and likeness of this God, then we will forgive like this God. How do we forgive? God's grace always assists a struggler. But this does not mean that a struggler is always in the position of a victor. What is important is not victory or the position of a victor, but rather the labor of striving towards God and devotion to him. Though a man may be found in a weak state, that does not mean at all that he has, has been abandoned by God. So what's the, what's the point of this quote? Don't measure victory. Victory is given by God. All you get to measure is what? Struggle. The only thing you get is struggle. Whether or not I'm going to forgive someone, I don't know if I'm going to forgive them. If someone, God forbid, does something to my child, am I going to be able to say, oh yeah, I'll be able to forgive them? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Okay? But I know that I'm called to, to struggle. I remember once I was watching, a, I don't know why, this documentary on executions, and they were showing somebody who was um, uh, being executed for killing a, you know, a, a young person and the family, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but the family gets to watch the person be executed, right? That's part of the closing package. So they sit there and behind the glass and he stands there and he gets lethal injection and they watch him die and they watch the doctor, blah, blah, blah. And there's a, there's an open mic moment and you know, the, the guy says, do you have anything to say to the family of the person you killed? And the guy says, uh, I'm very sorry for what I've done. And the mother of the child says, may you rot in hell. Which is not the answer you would want to hear, but one I understand. So the, the point of this is she's obviously still struggling with forgiveness. Okay. That's okay as long as what she's struggling. So God doesn't call us to win. He doesn't call us to be a victor. It says here, God's grace always assists a struggler, but that does not mean that a struggler is always a victor. You, you may not win. You may not get over 
judgment or anger or lust or any of your, temptation, of your, of your temptations, that's okay. That's not the point. The point is we fight. The point is we work. Right? Forgiveness is no different. You have to work at it. And God, at some point, will give you victory. I don't know if it's going to be a year or a decade or two decades. But I can tell you that the day you give up and you say, no, 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 I'm not going to forgive them for that. That's the day you've chosen hell. Harsh? I'll say it again. The day you say, I will not forgive them for that is the day you say, I have chosen to go to hell. Right? And this is what the fathers teach us about heaven and hell. Heaven and hell is not a place where, you know, God comes and he weighs all our things and he says, okay, well, you got 7,000 good things, but 18,000 bad things, you know, but the 7,000 will multiply times 0.2, but, you know, I, I can't really divide, take, carry that, right? That's not the way it's going to work. But the fathers say, we go and we choose it. We choose heaven or hell. And when you choose a thing like, I will not forgive, then you have chosen hell for yourself. That's... You've chosen, I don't want to be like God. I don't want to be with God. I don't like it when God loves and forgives. You know, even to the point where someone says, well, you know, God's forgiven them. I don't care if God forgave them. I don't understand why God did forgive them. In fact, God should have done this to them. God should have punished them, not forgiven them. Who does that remind you of? Hmm? the older brother and the prodigal son, right? Basically, he was in his father's house. He was surrounded by his father's love. He had servants. And when he saw his father give love, it what? It burned him. It pissed him off. He got madder at his dad when his dad showed love to his brother. St. Isaac the Syrian says, do you want to know what hell is? That's hell. Right? The, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son was already in hell. Right? Because we, you know, sometimes we'll say, oh, you know, hell's a place where God isn't, you know, God isn't in hell. Of course he's in hell. God's everywhere. And what is God? He's love. So the people in hell are with God, and God is love. I don't know. Do you see him in here? I can't even tell who you are with your mask. figured, you know, guy in black. It must be safe. Um, all right, so, and so, what was I talking about? Yeah, I got the prodigal son. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so God is everywhere. God is love. And so the people in hell are with God, and there's love. So what's happening? The love is burning them. They see love, and it bothers them. When you choose, and, and we know people like this, don't we? We know people, when they see something good, they see love, it bugs them. Right? So this is, this is the choice we make when we say, I will not forgive that person. Okay? That's, that is at 180 degrees from I can't forgive them. I can't forgive them. I'll, we'll take that all day. That's fine. I'm in that boat too. I won't. Another story. Uh, so that's the parable. Okay. 
God in his goodness has arranged the things perfectly so that with our gifts we can help each other and with our faults we can be humbled by each other. For every person has some gifts, but every person also has some faults. I don't, but others do. That's a joke. Which one must struggle to overcome, right? So what he's basically saying is the faults, my wife will attest to that, I have no faults. <laughs> um, he says, the faults help us. The faults in each other, right? Believe me, if everyone treated you perfectly, it'd be so boring, right? Life would just be no fun. Okay, there'd be no one to gossip about. There'd be nothing exciting, right? So the faults of others become your crowns, your thorns, your salvation, right? And we took all these thorns and we put them where? Right on Christ's head. And then Christ says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? And then he calls us to be in him as he does that action. This is, this is Christianity, right? This is the real deal. This is where the rubber hits the road, right? I think sometimes we get caught up in, you know, we, I attended all of Holy Week, big deal, right? Any, any, any monkey can attend all of Holy Week and sit there, right? That's, that's uninteresting, okay? But you tell me that person did something to you and now forgive them, right? Now I'm impressed. Now that's, that's real Christianity. Attending all of Holy Week, that's nice, right? But what about the real deal? What about the real stuff? Okay. Um, so how do I not just forget about it, but actually love the person afterwards? So the first answer is it's a connection with Christ. So it's impossible to forgive unless you are connected to the one who forgives unless he's in you and you are in him. The life is in you, right? The living water is in you. If someone hurts you, hurts your children, judges you, humiliates you, humiliates you. The solution is to dissolve into Christ and let his strength be yours. It is not I, but Christ who is in me, right? So this is, this is always our goal. I have to step back and let Christ who's in me do the forgiving. So when you're connected to Christ, you feel this fulfillment and this satisfaction. So Proverbs says, the one who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. This is a really deep parable. The one who is full loathes honey, right? It's kind of like, you know, when you're not supposed to go to a grocery store when you're hungry, right? Cause you buy junk. Okay. So it's the same principle. Don't go to the grocery store hungry, right? When you're full, you don't even want honey, which is always good. But to the hungry, even what is bitter, and I'll add disgusting and evil and horrible, tastes sweet, right? When you're starving, okay? So the key to, for to forgiveness is to be full, right? Um, you know, I, I imagine if, if you went up to I don't know, you know, a, a multi-billionaire and, you know, you said, you know, uh, I don't know, give me, give me your, give me your, your tie. He'd be like, who cares? Here's the tie. I'll go buy another one. I have lots of money, right? Or, or you go and you, you tear their, you know, couch. Be like, all right, I'll buy another couch. It's just a couch. 
Okay? But if you, you go to someone who doesn't have a lot, right, and you break their couch, they'd be like, that's my only couch. I, I worked for four years for that couch, right? So when you're full and you have a lot, you're, it, it, your cup runneth over, right? And you don't really care about the little things. So the closer you are to Christ, the more you realize everything is a little thing, right? This is what I love about old people. I was talking with someone just the other day, and he was telling me, um, you know, his son was going through some pretty hard stuff. When I say old people, someone my age. And he was talking to his dad. His dad is a priest. And every time he would tell, you know, my son did this, and my son's doing this, his dad would go, ah, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Everything's good. Everything's great, right? No matter what the, the, this guy said, Abuna would be like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be, and this Abuna is much, much older and very, very saintly. So the more you're filled, the more li everything is little. Everything actually doesn't matter. You know, this is like, this is why it's funny, right? When, you, when, you, when you've been married for 15 years, right? And then you watch a new couple fight over the stuff they fight about. And it's so stupid, right? You know, and you're like, you guys are so stupid, you know? And they're fighting over, she squeezed the toothpaste in the middle. I hate it. I told her twice. And you're just like, you're so stupid, right? Buy another thing of toothpaste. It's two bucks, right? I mean, whatever, okay? But then, then you, you know, so then the couple that's been married for five years is looking at the couple that's newlywed and go, you guys are so dumb. You guys don't even know. You're going to get over it. And then, of course, the couple that's married 10 years is watching what the couple that's been married five years is fighting over. And they think you're dumb, right? And then the one who has, you know, just has kids, right? The one who's got these, you know, you know college age kids like myself, I'm, you know, I'm watching them going, ah, you guys don't, you guys are silly. You guys are fighting over stupid things. And, and of course, my parents are watching the stuff I fight over and they're going, you're so stupid. You don't know. And what we've realized that, you know, the oldest people have realized, yeah, none of this actually matters. In the end, you go up and down the hill and you fight about it and you get all bent out of shape. And in the end, it really doesn't matter. Why? Their cup is full, right? They've had a full life. And then you realize, huh. So this is the, the one who's full loathes honey. And as soon as you leave Christ for even a moment, you're empty and you're hungry and you, you're starving and you act like a beggar who, who steals from people, right? Because there's nothing inside. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to debate how much. Okay. I'll go to the second bullet. Christ also said, forgive me as I forgive others. So another solution is to remind yourself of Christ's words. Look at what you have done against God. If you are honest and you will see that it is greater. How many times have we stolen from God? How many times have we betrayed him, hurt him and not reciprocated his love? Um, you know, I remember when I was talking uh, during the, the, the crazy summer when the BLM protests were happening and everybody was going nuts. I was talking with uh, a few young people and they were talking about injustice in the world and how we have to end injustice in the world and end racism and all, and all these things. And so I simply said, with a show of hands, can anyone tell me here who has, if have any of you have ever been unjust to anyone? All right, and everyone raised their hand. And I said, how many people have been unjust in the last week to someone and are in the process of still being unjust to someone? And lots of people raised their hand. And I said, you wanna end injustice, stop right stop and stop the injustice in our own in our own lives right so 
sometimes it's much easier instead of dwelling on the injustice of other people, but to just remind yourself of my own injustice. I've done much worse. I've done much worse to other people, the people I love, right? Am I really going to be that taken, put, put off and taken back by a little bit of injustice to me? Okay. Uh, I have too much to say, too many slides. All right, I'll, I'll end with this one. Who is the real enemy? This is always kind of a theme I go to. The devil cunningly induces us, instead of irritating us against himself, to notice our neighbor, our neighbor's sin, to make us spitefully and angry, spiteful and angry with others, and to awaken our contempt toward them, thus keeping us in enmity with our neighbors and with the Lord God himself. Therefore, we must despise the sins, the faults. Okay, so what he's saying is, instead of irritating us against himself, against the devil, he wants you to turn on your fellow neighbor, right? And so one of the, the easiest ways to get over when someone hurts us is to remember that wasn't the person who hurt me. Satan was the one who hurt me. Satan was the one who tricked this person into doing whatever it is they did. Therefore, we must despise the sins, the faults themselves, and not our brother who commits them at the devil's instigation. Though infirmity and habit, we must pity him and gently and lovingly instruct him as one who forgets himself or who is sick or as a prisoner and slave of his own sin. But our animosity, our anger toward the sinner only increases his sickness, oblivion, spiritual bondage instead of lessening them. Don't turn on people, right? People aren't the enemy. People are my brothers and sisters in Christ. The enemy is Satan behind the people. Actually, I want to do one, this one. Yeah. Anybody have any questions, comments? Thoughts, criticisms, complaints? Okay, glory be to God forever, amen. Let's stand and pray really quick. Make us worthy to say with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass. Lead us not into temptation, but Christ Jesus.